Today we are continuing in our series on At the Crossroads with God. And of course, in this series, we've been looking at a bunch of people, different people or groups of people who come to a crossroads with God, come to a point of decision in which they've either got to choose their own way or, or God's way. They've got to go with God's will and God's way and God's design, or they're going to choose their own way and their own will and their own design. So last week, we began looking at Balaam's big, bad blunder. In Jude chapter 1, verse 11, it says that certain people have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. And so last week we saw that these Israelites, they were about to enter the promised land and they had God's favor and blessing on them and anyone that attacked them was completely defeated. And then Balak, the king of Moab, uh, he saw this and realized that if he wanted any chance of defeating these Israelites, he had to get God off of their side. And so he sends messengers all the way to the Euphrates River looking for this guy named Balaam who has this reputation of being in with God. Whoever he curses is cursed and whoever he blesses is blessed. And he wants to pay him to come and put a curse on these Israelites. And we saw that God didn't want him to go. But he really, really wanted to go because he knew it would be a big payday. He had some covetousness, some greed in his heart. And uh, his heart was divided between following God's way and following his own way. And so he comes to this crossroad and he tries to walk on both paths at the same time. He tries to honor God while at the same time seeking out the rewards of the world. And it causes them to become more and more unstable and double-minded. James said that a person who doesn't believe God right, is double-minded and unstable in all they do. When you question God's motives and God's intentions and for you, you become double-minded and unstable. And so Balaam goes anyway. He thinks everything's just hunky-dory. But God's very angry with him. And then this incredible story unfolds that we saw last week. God sends an angel of the Lord to stand in Balaam's way to oppose him. The donkey then turns off the road, right? And Balaam beats him back on the road. And then the angel stands in the way again, and the donkey tries to get around, and it crushes his foot against the wall. And Balaam beats him back on the road again. And then finally, the angel stands in a, in a place where there's no place to go around and no place to go to the side. So the donkey just sits down under him. And this makes Balaam uh, even more upset. He beats it again. And of all the crazy things, the donkey starts to talk to him. And of all the more crazy things, Balaam starts to talk back to the donkey. I mean, it's all very dysfunctional. <laughs> and finally, God opens Balaam's eyes, and he sees the angel of the Lord standing there opposing him. And the angel tells him he's opposing him, that his way is reckless, and if it, if it wasn't for the donkey, he would have killed him already. But amazingly, Balaam doesn't seem to get the message. And he ends up continuing on his way towards Moab, trying to walk two paths at the same time. Trying to walk God's path and trying to walk the path of the world at the same time. He continued with this divided heart. And so that's where we left off last week. So let's pick it up right there this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer over the word for just a moment? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we bless your name. God, we love your word. God, we pray that you would give us a single-minded, undivided heart of devotion towards you. God, help us determine to walk purposefully on your path and trust you with the results with our lives. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's unpack this together. It uh, starts in Numbers chapter 22, verse 36. And in verse 36 and 37, it says this. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming. He went out to meet him 
at the Moabite town on the Arnon border, at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? And so Balak here, he looks a little irked. He's showing his impatience. He thinks Balaam just thought maybe he he wasn't serious about rewarding him. So going on, verse 38, it says that Balaam answered him. Well, I've come to you now, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Okay, so in fairness here, Balaam's up front with him. Right? He doesn't promise one thing and then deliver another. He tells him right up front, you know, there's no guarantee regarding what's going to come out of my mouth. Only what God tells me to say. So Balak seems to be thinking, hey, I'm paying for this, so I get to decide what the content uh, is. But Balaam's like, not so fast. You know, there's no guarantee. I'm only going to say what God wants me to say. And so verses 39 and 40, they stay there that night. They have sacrifices and they fellowship. Uh, and then in the morning, verse 41, it says the next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal. And from there he could see the outskirts of the Israelite camp. All right, now, Bamoth Baal means the heights of Baal. And so this is likely a high place where, where Baal is worshipped in Moab. So going on, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 23, he says, Balaam said, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did as Balaam said, and the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Now, I, I don't know why they didn't just um, use the, the, the altars that were already there at those high places. You know, perhaps some think that uh, Balaam doesn't want to associate with the altars of Baal. You know, possibly they just want to go all extra uh, for God. You know, Balaam new altars, you know, seven new altars and seven bulls and seven rams each, right? Go all of this extra to try to elicit a response from God, elicit the response they wanted from God. Going on in verse 3, it says, Then Balaam said to Balak, Stay here beside your offering while I go aside. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. Then he went off to a barren height. Okay, so now, the word Lord here in this verse, it's still the word Yahweh. Like last week, when he was using that word, it's the word Yahweh. This is the one true God of Israel. The, the name that God gives himself. And so, for his part, Balaam is still trying to hear from the one true God. Now, he's still trying to get the answer he wants. Have you ever gone to God that way? God, I'm coming to you. Here's the answer you should give me. Oh, you all like look so righteous right now. You've never done that. Are you all manifesting halos right now? That's, he's going to God saying, you know, um, here's the answer I want. right? And, uh, and, and this, by the way, should have said something to King Balak. I mean, he's brought him here to the high places where their God Baal is worshipped, but Balaam is still saying that he's going to get an answer from Yahweh. Well, that's the God of the Jewish people. That's the God of the people he wants to curse. So, I mean, what does he think is going to happen here when the guy he's hiring is going to the God of the people that he wants to curse? Verse 4, it says, God met with him, and Balaam said, I've prepared seven altars, and on each altar I have offered a bull and a ram. See everything that I've done for you, God? See how I honor you? See how I serve you, God? Aren't you pleased with my offerings? Aren't you impressed enough to give me the answer that I want? You know, Balaam should have known what it meant that God says things like, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat 
of rams, right? No amount of religious exercise can substitute for a heart that is surrendered to the kingship of Jesus. But he's thinking, you know, if I just perform some religious stuff, right, you know, God will notice me and give me what I want. You know, you know God doesn't work that way. He's not looking for some religiously decorated white elephant gift, right? Uh, he's looking for our hearts. So going on, verse 5 and 6, God gives them a different message. A message of blessing instead of cursing. And Balaam goes back to, uh, finds King Balaam waiting there beside his offering. And as we look at these messages that God gives to Balaam, there are four messages. I want you to see something in each one. Each one of these messages repeats and confirms something that's in the covenant with Abraham. If you look at, back at the covenant with Abraham in Genesis, these messages repeat and confirm something that's in that covenant. So let's look at it. Balaam, he, he's returned to the group. And everyone here, they're on pins and needles. Okay, here comes Balaam. And they're waiting now, I mean, for the best curse that you've ever heard. I mean, if you've ever heard somebody that's really just dressed down by someone who's powerful, right? I mean, uh, just wait until you hear this. And so Balaam says, verse 7 to 10, Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks, I see them. From the heights, I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and may my final end be like theirs. All right, now, do you see the confirmation of the covenant with Abraham here? God had said that Abraham's descendants would be like the dust of the earth. And here he says, who can count the dust of Jacob? Or number, even a fourth of Israel. And so instead of cursing them, Balaam confirms the covenant with Abraham and pronounces God's blessing on them. And Balak, of course, now Balak, he's upset. And he says to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. You've done nothing here but bless them. I mean, Balak, he seems shocked. He thinks he's being ripped off. He's paying for a curse, but he's getting a blessing instead. And so Balaam answers, you know, must I speak? Must I not speak what the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God, puts in my mouth? And you'd think that that would be the end of it, right? But instead, it just starts to get a little bit crazy again. Verse 13 and 14, it says, Then Balak said to him, Come with me to another place where you can see them. You will not see them all, but only the outskirts of their camp. And from there, curse them for me. I mean, so he took him to the field of Zophim on top of Pisgah. And there he built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Okay, now this is really weird. I mean, he says, you know, maybe the problem was the location. If we just go over here, then maybe God will let you curse them for them there. Or maybe the problem was that um, God won't let you curse all of them, but maybe God will just let you curse just a few of them, right? So maybe you can curse them from here. And, uh, and of course, uh, um, they go all out again, especially Balak. It looks like it's mostly Balak this time. Uh, uh, Balak, uh, Balaam didn't ask him to do this this time, but he says, you know, seven more altars, seven more bulls, seven more rams, all this extra to try to get God's attention. And... Verse 15 and 16, it says, So Balaam said to Balak, Stay here beside your offering while I meet him over there. All this over there, this seems weird too to me, right? 
The Lord met with Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and give him this word. All right, so God, Balaam goes off to meet with God again. And it's like God seems to say, oh, he didn't like the last word. Let's see how he liked this one. And so he went and found him. Balaam goes back, finds him standing beside his offering with the Moabite officials. And so Balak asked him, what did the Lord say? What did Yahweh say? And I, you know what? I just really love this. I mean, really? I mean, what does he think he said? And so Balaam responds, Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not human that he should lie, nor a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? Okay, so it's like God is saying to Balak, you know, you have no idea here who you're dealing with. I mean, you're treating the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing creator God of the universe as if he's just like you. As if he's just like one of your advisors who you reason with and get to change their mind. Well, God doesn't lie or deceive or change his mind. So going on, he says, I've received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. There is no divination against Jacob. No evil omens against Israel. I will, it will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, See what God has done. The people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion that does not rest till it devours its prey and drinks the blood of its victims. And so, remember now, God had promised Abraham that he would be with his descendants forever. And here God again repeats and confirms that promise. He confirms the covenant, and again in verse 21 saying, the Lord their God is among them. And Balak, of course, now, he's really upset. He's, he's even more upset in response to Balaam. Well, neither curse them nor bless them at all. And Balaam answered, did I not tell you I must do whatever the Lord says? And so now Balak's really upset. I mean, he's paying for a curse, and now he's got two blessings instead from a guy who he previously said, he testified about this guy, that I know you, that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. And now he's got two blessings from him. You remember that old saying, you know, your mother used to always tell you, right? If you don't have anything good to say, what? Don't say anything at all, right? Now, Balak seems to have the opposite going on right here. If you don't have anything bad to say, then don't say anything at all. All right, then it gets even more crazy. Verse 27, Then Balak said to Balaam, Come, let me take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them for me from there. And Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, overlooking the wasteland. Okay, now, seriously? I mean, really? After that rebuke, he's going to try again? I mean, he just said God doesn't change his mind. And so Balak says, well, let's see if God will change his mind. And not only that, where are Balak's officials in all of this? I mean, doesn't it seem like there should have been somebody with the wisdom to say, hey, you know, maybe we're going about this the wrong way. Maybe we need to look at this a little bit of a different way. It seems clear, you know, God is intent on blessing those people. Maybe instead of asking God to curse them, maybe we ought to begin asking, how can we get their God to bless us? 
You know, maybe we should think about honoring him. So going on, verse 29 and 30, uh, it says, Balaam, he has another seven altars built, another seven bulls, another seven rams sacrificed on these altars. But this time, he doesn't even go away to get a message. Instead, it says, when Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped, tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him, and he spoke his message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor. The prophecy of the one whose eye sees clearly. The prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. Like valleys, they spread out. Like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations and break their bones in pieces. With their arrows, they pierce them. Like a lion, they crouch and lie down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. All right, now, God had promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit this promised land. That's right across the river now. And so now God repeats and confirms that part of the promise. God brought them out of Egypt, and they're about to devour hostile nations. But then notice also, he repeats the promise that those who bless them will be blessed, and those who curse them will be cursed. And in repeating that part of the Abrahamic covenant, God's, he's not only blessing the Israelites, but it appears like, it looks like, God is also graciously giving Balak a way out here. A, a roadmap out of this situation. Because he's saying, the more you try to curse God's people, the more it's just going to come back on your own head. And if you'll bless God's people, stop with all that cursing, and start blessing God's people, then you'll be blessed as well. God's offering Balak a roadmap out of this here. But Balak doesn't get it. Right? And now, he's really mad. Have you ever been really mad? Well, Balak is really mad, right? Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them these three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. And now, and now this here is the second time in this story when someone blames God for something. I mean, the first time Balaam was like, you know, I want to go with you guys, but, you know, the Lord has refused to let me go with you. It's because of him I can't go with you. So Balaam blamed God, and now Balak here is blaming God as well. Hey, you like representing God so much? Well, you can thank him for nothing because um, he's kept you. He's the one that's kept you from being rewarded. And so Balaam answers Balak, you know, didn't I not tell you? Didn't I not tell the messengers you sent me? Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. And I must say only what the Lord says. Now, now I'm going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. And then he spoke this message, beginning in verse 15. He says, The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eye sees clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. 
I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. And in this fourth message here, you see the messianic promise to Abraham confirmed and repeated again. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler will come out of Jacob. And so in these four messages, God completely repeats and confirms the covenant with Abraham. This is the covenant of faith. This is the the messianic covenant that proclaims that one day God's going to send a savior to the world. God's plan to save the world stands. No matter what king tries to do anything about it. God's plan is going to move forward and no king, no ruler, no wise man, no anyone can do anything to stop it. And now Balaam here, Balaam's on a roll. Right? And so he gives three more messages. The first about the Amalekites, the next one about the Kenites, and then finally one about uh, the people of Cyprus of all things. And finally, in verse 25, it says this, Then Balaam got up and returned home. And Balak went his own way. Now, that verse looks like the end of the story. But it's not the end of the story. Something very curious happens when you turn the page to the next chapter, the very next verse. It says, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. These people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. All right, now, what in the world is happening here? I mean, what in the world is going on here? Where did this come from? I mean, the Moabites viewed Israel as their mortal enemies. And you don't send your daughters, to go fraternize with your mortal enemies. But all of a sudden, all these young women show up in the Israelite camp and begin flirting with the young men. Oh boy, you're so handsome. You're so strong. Look at these muscles you have. Oh my, do you work out? You know what? We're having a party up there in the high place of our God there. Um, you should come. It's going to be so much fun. You should, you should come, right? The, and, and many were seduced by this invitation. And this wasn't just a handful of frat guys either. Several verses later, verse 9, it says that the number of people who ended up dying in a plague from the Lord because of this was 24,000 people. And they knew what they were getting into. The, the very invitation had in it the worship of false gods. So they knew right off the bat they're violating the very first commands of God. But not only that, it gets worse because... These pagan religions were known to be fertility cults. That is, it it involved excessive sexual immorality as a part of their worship. And so with tens of thousands of people involved, this was probably the largest orgy in the history of the world. It was debased. It was despicable. It was embarrassing. It was horrifying. And it was no small matter. Because it has the potential to derail the entire Israelite community, right as they're about to enter the promised land. I mean, remember 40 years ago, they were right about to enter the promised land. Because of their unbelief, they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years until that entire generation died off. 
And now they're in danger of having that happen again. They're right at the edge of the promised land. Many of them now violating the very first commandment. Violating the covenant. So how can they expect God to be their covenant God and bring them into the promised land if they will not be his faithful covenant people? And so verse 3 says this, the Lord's anger burned against them. I mean, how in the world could they be so gullible and so stupid and so faithless right on the edge of the promised land? And not only that, why are all of these Moabite women all of a sudden showing up in this camp? Why are they so interested in these Israelite men? I mean, do you think they were handsome? Were they more handsome than the Moabite young men? I mean, were they rich? Did they all work out at the gym? I mean, I mean, they couldn't have been that attractive, I don't think. I mean, think about it. They've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. I mean, how many of you women, you know, you see a guy walking out of the wilderness after being there 40 years, and you think, boy, I'd like to have a date with him. You know, I don't think so, right? So, I mean, there's got to be something else going on here. And as it turns out, there was something else going on behind the scenes. A little later, when looking back at this incident, Moses says this of these Moabite women. He says, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. They followed Balaam's advice. Now, wait a minute. I thought Balaam had left and gone home. Well, apparently, he didn't make it all the way back home. Apparently, he turned around and came back. Apparently, he figured out a way that he thought he could finally get the money he was hoping for. He could finally uh, uh, get the world's reward. I mean, he couldn't curse them because Almighty God, uh, his word was over them. They were not subject to curses. And no curse would be effective against them. But they were subject to weakness. And so he advises the Moabites of this. And if you send your woman and entice them to worship your gods, it will weaken them. God's blessing may leave them. In the book of Revelation, it says it this way. Jesus is talking to one of the churches in Asia. And after commanding, uh, commending some of them, he adds, But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Balaam kept teaching Balak. That sounds like he became an advisor to Balak. I mean, we can't be sure, but it looks like he took on a more permanent role in Balak's kingdom. It looks like Balaam becomes part of Balak's cabinet. And he finally found this way to cash in. You know, and I'm sure he's pleased with himself. You know, he managed to only say what God told him to say. He didn't curse those Israelites, but he also found a meal ticket as well. Able to honor God only in saying what God told him to say, but able to cash in as well. Do you remember earlier in the story when he was going and the angel opposed him? And then he added this as well. He said, do not do anything unless I tell you to do it. Well, Balaam didn't seem to understand that part because in advising the Moabite this way, he did something. Something that God didn't tell him to do. Something that was dishonoring to God. And God was displeased. Let's, let's look at what happens in the end. Sometimes later, there is a battle between the Israelites and the Moabites. The account is found in Numbers chapter 31. And as the battle is being recounted there, it adds this detail in verse 8. It says, They also killed 
Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. I mean, whatever time has passed, we find that Balaam is still there among the Moabites and the Midianites. He's still advising them. He's, he's caught up in this battle and he perishes there fighting against the Lord. And so it turns out that you really can't walk both paths at the same time. You can't, really can't walk the path that God has for you and the path of the world as well. You can't follow God's designs and God's plans and follow the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life as well. You can't be on both sides of the fence at the same time. You know, I think maybe never has there ever been anyone to whom God has talked so much and so clearly who missed God so badly. Balaam's big, bad wonder. And so as we conclude this service, can I encourage you this morning... Don't be like Balaam. Right? Don't make Balaam's big, bad blunder, right? Get on God's path. Get 100% on God's path. Have a single-minded devotion to God and determine to make daily decisions, even the small decisions, that you are going to honor God in every single little thing you do so that when you're faced with the big things of life, that you can, without question, honor God as well. Don't try to walk both paths. Walk one path, the path of God that leads to Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. Be a lover of God rather than a lover of the world. And have an honest and integrous heart before God. May God give us all that kind of heart. All right, would you bow with me in prayer this morning as we close this service? Heavenly Father, Thank you for your love for us. God, as we look at your story, as we look at the story of the Gospels, we can see you have a single-minded heart of love towards us. It humbles us. It amazes us, God. And we're so thankful for that love you have for us. God, we pray you would give us a single-hearted mind of love and devotion for you, God. God, uh, that whatever comes our way, give us an honest heart, a heart that follows your will, even when it's difficult, God, even when sometimes we don't get the answer that we're looking for or hoping for. Help us walk your path and seek first the kingdom of God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone that loves him said, amen, amen and amen. May God give you an awesome, wonderful week, an awesome, wonderful Christmas season, and may you experience the joy of God greater than ever before this entire season. In Jesus' name, amen.